0: Our God and Father, you are good and kind to your people, O Lord. You've been merciful to us by sending us a Savior to redeem us. God, we need you this morning. Lord, we pray that you would help us today to believe your word and all that you have revealed to us about yourself, about what pleases you, O God. Lord, uh, all of us suffer from the same dilemma that you have commanded us oh god to glorify you to worship you in spirit and in truth to love you with all of our heart mind soul and strength and god because of the sinfulness that is in us it is impossible for us to do that apart from your holy spirit so god we beg of you this morning to be with us help us oh lord in your holy name we pray amen all right so we are on lesson eight Lesson eight of this course seminar. Oh, I have a typo. <laughs> it's supposed to be a space between there. Sorry about that. It says, how do I know God exists? So I apologize for that. Um, we're on lesson eight of um, this, cor- this uh, Sunday school. Uh, how can we trust the Bible? And um, so last week we went over um what did we go over last week last week we went over apologetics and concept of thinking presuppositionally so does anybody remember what what that means when we say first of all what is apologetics who was here last week i'm pretty sure everybody was here with the exception of one person so how do we define when we talked about apologetics right What did we say apologetics was? Do you remember? Yeah, defending the faith, defending what we believe, being able to give a reasonable answer to those who have questions regarding why we believe the things that we believe. Um, Okay, and then we talked about two major, the two biggest streams of apologetics. Do you remember what these were? Yeah, evidential and presuppositional. There are others, Uh, somebody brought up one like classical but we didn't get into that because that's not positions that average people hold. So does um, anybody remember the difference between evidential and presuppositional? Right, so presuppositional is based on that term. You presuppose particular things about God, his existence, his word being the authority, and what God has revealed about the world, okay? And then evidence-based apologetics is, is you argue from evidence in creation, right? And then we also talked about how... um, not to speak disparagingly about, you know, evidence-based apologetics. However, we should be coming from a presuppositional position because of what we believe about the Word of God and what the Word of God has revealed about the heart of men. So do you remember any of this? How we talked about any of this last week? Everybody awake? Everybody with me? You remember anything at all about what we said about anything anybody anybody present with me today can anybody remember so one of the things we talked about last week was one of the the um fundamental ideas that the bible reveals about the heart of an unregenerate man is is that they suppress the truth about the existence of god they suppress it in unrighteousness right So in other words, that all people know that God exists, right? And they they know it and they just suppress it in unrighteousness. They suppress it because of their love for sin, right? And so we either will believe what the word of God says about that idea or not. And so when we encounter unbelievers and we speak to them about our faith, we need to understand that that's the disposition of heart that they have toward the Lord and his revealed word whenever we speak to them, right? And since that's the case, unless the Holy Spirit converts a man and changes his heart, there's nothing that you and I can do to cause them. There's no argument. There's no piece of evidence that any of us will ever be able to bring to bear on a man's conscience that will cause them to just believe God because of the right evidence, right? So salvation is not an intellectual problem. It's a moral problem. It's a problem of the heart. That's why you can never be able, that's why you and I will never be able, apart from the Spirit of God, to be able to can argue a person into Christianity. Amen? Amen. And praise God, because the same thing is true the opposite way you can't be argued out of it either. Right? So that's what we talked about last week and that for that reason, if we are going to defend the faith, we should never leave the Bible out of the conversation. Right? Um, We go in admitting our presupposition and admitting that our foundation is the word of God. Amen. And so today we're going to continue that concept. If you have one of the handouts, do you have a handout? Does everybody have a handout? Okay, so that's where we're going to go to. Turn your Bibles to Genesis 1-1 if you have them. So our key themes today is is that God is the only eternal being and God's existence makes sense out of the entire universe. So we'll be coming out of Genesis 1-1. Exodus chapter 3 verses 13 through 15 and then John 18 1 through 6. So we'll talk about the difference again. We'll kind of go over more about the difference between presuppositional and evidential approach to um, apologetics as well. So since the Bible presupposes the existence of God, the writers of the Bible do not seek to prove God's existence. Right, so in Genesis one one, the word of God says, In the beginning was the word I'm sorry, that's John one one. In the beginning God, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Right? So now, what's the first thing we're supposed to do when we read the Bible? Observe. Right? We're supposed to observe. Everybody, who's, who's not been here for like the last seven weeks? Everybody's been here, right? Everybody awake? We're good? Okay, observe. Observe. First thing we're supposed to do is observed. So who are the characters here that we just read about? God. Spirit of God. All right. Are there who what are the action words or the verbs in the passage that we just read? Created. Hovering. Okay. Is there any repeated phrases? or words in the passage we read? Was in God, okay? So what type of literature is this passage we just read? Historical, right? It's historical, right? So what does that mean for us? If it's historical, why does that matter that it's historical? It means it happened in real life. What else does it mean for us? As we read it, what is it? How does it, how is it, if I'm reading poetry versus an epistle versus an historical narrative, how do I read those differently? Or do I, let me ask the question, should I read them differently? How? How do you read them differently? Do you read them differently? Yes. Okay. So she says you read historical narrative as factual. To what Michael's point is it's like you read it as if it actually happened. Right? Yes, sir. The main reason people write history, I think, is especially in the early times was uh this is what you need to remember for the future. Because what happened is necessary context for right. you to right. Okay. yeah. So he's saying that he you re, they're writing history so that we would know We would have a record of the past and how we should move forward, right? So when we read poetry, right, there's going to always be a lot of figures of speech, right? So when when the Bible says the four corners of the world, it doesn't mean that the world is a square or a box. How do you know that? Because you're reading poetry, right? You should read poetry the way poetry is intended to be read. You should read an epistle the way an epistle is intended to be read. And you should read narrative the way a narrative is intended to be read. Now, I know this all sounds redundant, okay? But you need to pound these things into your head so that when you interpret your Bible and you're talking to people who don't read the Bible very much, you can explain how it is that you're coming to the conclusions that you're coming to and why you believe the things that you believe. Amen? Okay? So oftentimes we say that apologetics is so that we can defend the faith, and answer questions that unbelievers have of us. But one of the other benefits of apologetics is for the believer as well, okay? So that we can have confidence in the things that we believe and know for certain that they are true. Does that make sense to you? Okay? So apologetics not only helps us defend the faith, but it's also helpful to us as well, right? So in this passage... Are there? Are there? We didn't use any. Was there? I'm sorry. Is there any figures of speech used? There any figures of speech used? Yes. No. Are there any figures of speech that were used in this passage? What are you going to say? Face Face of the deep, that's a figure of speech. Heavens and earth is a figure of speech. Right? Well, okay. Heavens and earth is literal, but it also means everything in between. Right? Does that make sense to you? So that's important for us to understand when figures of speech are being used. Right? So... The historical context. What's the context of this passage? What's the historical context of this passage? How the earth came to be. Yes, that's what it's talking about. But what, yes, that's, that is a, an answer to a, a different question. <laughs> yes, sir? Uh, the at Sinai. The Israelites at Sinai. Anybody else? The, being the historical context historical context is the beginning of time, right? It's the beginning of time. See it right there? In the beginning, right? It's the beginning of time, right? Before this, there was no creation. There was only God before this moment, right? So this passage... What it does here is sets the tone for the rest of the Bible. Whatever you understand Genesis 1 1 to mean is going to have a tremendous impact on everything else moving forward. Okay? So what is the main point of this passage? To reveal God? Ladies first, I'm sorry, John. To give the historical documentation of God creating? Okay, yeah. The document, or God created the universe. Yeah. God was in the beginning. So when we say God is in the beginning, God was in the beginning, what we mean is, is that God is eternal. He existed before time existed. And this verse is showing us that. Eight, that God is, uh, existed before time, God is eternal, and that God is creator of everything, right? So this passage tells us that God existed before time existed. God existed before creation, right? And so there's many other passages in the Bible that confirm that idea. We'll get into those a little later. And what this means for us then is that two things about God. He's eternal and he's self-existent. Right, Those two things are true based on this passage. He's eternal, he's self-existent and God is creator. So now God existed before time existed. He created the universe. That means he sits outside of time. He exists outside of time and he created time As part of the universe. Right? Yes, sir. What about the angels? They are created at a point in time. Right? They are created in a point in time. But God was never created. Right? So when I say creation, I am including the angels. Okay? When I say creation, I'm including the angels. So at a point in time, God creates everything, including the angels right, including this physical universe that we inhabit, but he sits outside of all of that, okay? And so, what that mean that means some, whenever you read anything in the Bible, okay, there are some um, fundamental truths about the Lord that you need to always be carrying with you, right, whenever you read any passage of scripture, And one of those is that he's eternal and that he's creator, right? So that's supposed to frame every interpretation of scripture that you have, right? So remember we talked about this a couple weeks ago when we said that the easier, clearer passages of scripture are supposed to help you um, interpret the harder passages of scripture. So the passages of scripture like this one, that show that God created everything, that God is eternal, that God never, um, he's immutable, God never changes, that God is love, that God is holy, that God cannot lie. Those are very easy passages of scripture for you to understand. Amen? Like you literally have to do work to misunderstand some of those those passages of scripture. So all of those passages of scripture are supposed to create a a hermeneutical, or interpretive framework for how you read everything else, right? So when you get to other passages of Scripture that say something like, the Lord relented, or the Lord regretted making man, I, right away I can know it can't mean a few things. Yes, ma'am. First, and then I first in the
1: beginning
0: i'm sorry what well, right? i'm sorry what was the question again
1: Jen, first
0: yes god made the earth, right correct we first for John first, in the
1: beginning uh.
0: Yeah, we're going we're gonna to talk about John 1, 1. John chapter 1. We'll get to that. Yeah, we'll talk about all of that. Yeah, so hopefully, if, you, if I don't answer that question, come back and, and ask me, and we'll we get to that. So next, we're going to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis, or I'm sorry, Exodus, Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter, 3. Exodus chapter all of these are familiar passages of Scripture. Exodus chapter 3 is beginning at verse 13. The Bible says, Then Moses said, I'm sorry, yeah, then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel. I am sent me to you. God also said to Moses, "Say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and in thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations." Okay? So, what is the first thing you're supposed to do when you read a Bible passage? Observe. So who are the characters here? Moses and the Lord. Moses and God, right? What's the historical context of this passage? I can give you a hint. It's in the name of the book. Right? Right, they're in slavery. Israelites were in slavery in Egypt. And this is the story of how God frees them from slavery in Egypt. So Moses was, at this point in the story, he was about to go to Egypt, right? And, and then from that point, bring him into the promised land. Okay, are there any figures of speech used in this passage? Any, any um, figures of speech? It's a few. It's a couple. So children of Israel. Yep. Children of Israel. What'd you say? Yeah, Yeah, God of our father. So he's referring to all of the descendants of Jacob here, right? Those are figures of speech. So he's not only merely talking about the immediate descendants of Jacob, but anybody that is in that bloodline. Okay, does that make sense to you when he says children of Israel? Okay, so what would you say is, are there any repeated phrases or anything like that? Any repeated phrases or words? I'm sorry? Has sent me, me. okay. I am, I am is repeated several times. Okay, what's that? God. God, yes, of course. Okay. I'm sorry? Yes, he said, say, and said are repeated often, okay? And so what type, of, what type of literature is this? Historical, right? So I know this is repetitive, but we need you to, like, you need to, what is that? What's that saying? Practice makes permanent, right? You need to constantly discipline yourself to read the Bible this way. And the more you do it, the, the easier and the faster it'll just start happening, Okay? So um <clears throat> so what does this passage tell us about God? What is this passage telling us about the Lord? Show me where you show me exactly where you see that. Yeah, he's the God of God of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? Anything else you learn about God in this passage? He defines, he defines his own existence. Right. He defines his own existence. He identifies himself in a very unique way. How does he identify himself? I am who I am, right? So God is referring to himself as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and God, because he had, remembered before this point in the story, he had promised all three of these men that he would build up their offspring into this great nation, which becomes the nation of Israel, and God is also confirming that his name stands forever. We just read that in verse 15, right? This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all a generation. This is how you and I and every person that's a believer is supposed to remember the Lord. I am that I am, okay? This self-existent God who exists outside of time, who's independent. He does not need any of us for existence in any way whatsoever. He is who he is, okay? That's how you are to think of God, yes, ma'am. Yeah, you had your hand up. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. Yes. He describe. He identifies what. Yeah, his nature. Yeah. I think another way that 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 could be interpreted is, if I remember correctly, is is that. I will be who I will be, which is the same idea, right? So instead of, what Ms. Bonnie says is that instead of actually answering him with a name, he describes who he is, right? Or what his character and nature is like. And that's how we ought to remember the Lord, okay? So are there any other passages that you can think of that's related to this passage? Where God describes himself as I am that I am, Yes. Yep, that's John eight fifty eight. John eight fifty eight. Jesus says, "Before Abraham was, I am." He uses God's covenant name. He takes it upon himself. Also, uh, John eighteen. John eighteen. We'll turn. <clears throat> we'll turn there to John eighteen. I'll start at verse Um, 4. John 18, verse 4. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. This is what this was to fulfill the word that, that, had, that he had spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. So this is another instance. So if you, okay, so. In Greek, in this passage, the he is not there. Where you see in verses uh, 5, where he says, I am he, in Greek, it's not there. Right? He just says, ego, I I am. Right? The translators make this so, so the English will read decent. But it's I am. It's, in the, it's the same thing in verse 5. It's the same thing in verse 6. And it's the same thing in verse 8, right? He's, he's invoking the same name that the Lord used in Exodus chapter 3, verses 13 through 15. Jesus is taking that name upon himself, right? When he says, I am. So what does that mean for us? So based on, uh, Emmy uh, brought up John um, 8, 58. We just read in John eighteen, five through six, where Jesus is calling us. And there are other passages of scripture where Jesus takes upon this name, I am. What does this mean? What does any of this mean? Why does any of this matter? Does any of this matter to you? What, why does it matter to you, Michael? Right. So Jesus is taking upon God's covenant name upon himself. And in, and in that way, he's claiming the same status as Yahweh, right? That he is, in fact, the God of the Exodus. That's what he's doing there in those passages when he says those things, right? So in this passage, we see, and then, then there's also another clue in here where we see in verse 4 where he says, Jesus knowing all that would happen to him. Well, how does he know that? In verse 4, John 18, 4. See, so here's what's happening right now. Because we're all Christian, most of us, I think, pretty much been, possibly grew up in church, been in church for a long time. You're taking some things for granted right now. Aren't you? And what, what are you taking for granted right now? That you know that Jesus Christ is God. You're taking that for granted. Because your mom and your dad taught you that from the time you was a little kid, so when you read passages like this, you go, yeah, of course it says Jesus is God, right? So you, you read over things like John, 4, or John 18, verse four, when it says, then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, whom do you seek? Now, if you've never read the Bible before, and you understand that Jesus is, is obviously a, a, a human being, a man, you're gonna read that and ask what question? How does he know everything that's about to happen to them? Because we, I don't know what's happening to me tomorrow, but he does, right? So my point though, here's my point. My point is, is that when we do apologetics and when we do evangelism and when we read passages like this and our, and, or unbelievers read passages like this, they're gonna ask questions like that, right? They're not gonna take these things for granted the way that you and I do. Right. So I, listen, I'll explain it to you. So when I, my wife and I, when we first got married, I wasn't a believer. Right. I started reading the Bible and I'm asking her questions because I'm reading the Bible. And I'm like, hey, this Bible just said that they tried to throw Jesus off a cliff and he walked through an entire crowd of people. <laughs> and she said, it doesn't say that. And I'm like, yes, it does. And I read it to her. I'm like that's people don't do that. Right? That's not what people do. Can you explain to me what's happening here? Right? I was completely like, this is a complete fairy tale. Right? No men, men don't do this. Right? And because men ordinary men don't do that. Amen. Amen? Amen. So here, this is what you have to what you have to do as a Christian is understand what it is you're proclaiming right you're proclaiming that that baby in the manger right is the self-existent eternal i am that's the claim that you're making when you talk about the lord jesus christ right do you understand that the god who spoke nothing into existence made everything ex nihilo was born was a baby needed to be fed needed to be cared for and at the same time held the entire world together by the word of his power how does that happen how does he do that how does a how does a child a baby an infant do that how does that happen because that's the claim that you're making as a christian do you realize that So if you're not a believer, that's going to sound incredible to you, is it not? All I'm saying is, is that don't lose the, you, we lose the wonder and the majesty of some of the things that we're claiming because we become too familiar with them, right? Do you understand? Like don't, don't become familiar with these things in, in that way where you start to, this is, glo- this is a glorious gospel that we have, right? It is a glorious gospel. And we just, we can't lose that sense of awe and, and of wonder that we're supposed to have when we read things like this. Amen? Okay. So this is who Jesus is claiming to be, okay? And so the Israelites, they believed in God, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and so this was their prepos- their presupposition right about who God is. their worldview had already informed um, their ability to believe certain things because if God could create everything out of nothing then it's nothing for you to believe that you know somebody could walk on water or raise a person from the dead or so. This is why I said earlier it's so important for you to understand Genesis 1-1, right? If Genesis 1-1 is true, right, that God can create literally the entire universe out of nothing, right? Then believing that he can raise a man from the dead is easy, right? Believing he can raise a man from the dead is easy, right? So understanding that Christ is God, understanding that Christ is the I am, the self-existent, eternal I am. He is understanding that he is both truly man and truly God, right? When you understand that, everything else that he's claiming becomes easy then. To believe that God walked on water is not that difficult because he controls all of the, he controls all of nature, right? If he could bring nature out of nothing, then surely he can control it, amen? Amen? He can suspend the laws of nature if he's the creator of nature, right? This is why once we understand these fundamental things, these other things become easy, right? So all of that to say that God presupposes when he, when he inspires holy men to write the Bible, he presupposes his existence. From the very beginning of scripture in genesis 1 1 he doesn't argue for his existence he just st- states that it is right so the evidences to support god's existence are there but they should not be what we depend on to convince anybody does that make sense to you so we should trust the word of god trust what God has said as it as the authority and then we use evidence to support those things but never as the authority and as the foundation for any kind of apologetics or any kind of evidence that we bring. Does that make sense to you? Okay. So, um John 18. Let's go to John 18 again. I'm going to read verses Actually, I did. I read 1 through 6 already. Um so here we see that uh, God reversing himself as the I am. Again, this is another historical narrative. So the main point of this passage here is that Jesus revealed his identity to all the people present in John 18. And he claimed that he was I am, he claimed that he's equal with God by using the same name and so what does this passage then tell us about God? What does it tell us about the Lord Jesus Christ? What does it tell us about the Holy Spirit? What does it tell us about any one of those three persons? Or, or all of those three persons? We just read John 18, 1 through 6. Right? So what does that tell us about the Lord Jesus Christ? Yeah, he's, he's the Lord. He's I am. What does it tell us about... Does it tell us anything else about him? He knows all things. Knows all things. Anything else? I was going to say it tells us that um, God he, is
1: one being, but if Jesus is claiming to be him, Father, Seven, that means God's multiple
0: person. Right. So, did you did everybody hear that? He talked, that means if because he's identifying himself with the God, and he's directly identifying himself as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, then that means then that God has to exist in more than one person. Right? Does that make sense to you? So we, that's where we get this. This is one of the passages where we get the concept of the Trinity from. Okay? One God, three persons. Okay? So it tells us something about him, right? Turn to, um, First Peter, First Peter, Chapter One, First Peter, Chapter One, starting at verse twenty. Actually, let me start at verse, um, 17. But we're going to concentrate on verse 20. I just want to read from verse 17 and give us some context, okay? And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, That like that of a lamb, without blemish or spot. And here's the verse we want to concentrate on. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. Right? So God, before creation, right? Before creation, before the foundation of the world, had a plan to redeem mankind, right? Again, we see another piece of evidence here where the Lord Jesus Christ is known prior to creation, right? Again, it speaks to his deity, speaks to his eternality. It speaks to when, when the Bible says, in the beginning God, that Christ was there, right? The son was there. So, And so God, he had this plan to redeem mankind. It was proposed before the foundation, before the creation of the world, and it was fulfilled in what Jesus Christ did when he went to the cross in the fullness of time is what Galatians says, right? So this plan to redeem mankind from the fall was already put in place prior to time, before time began. This is what this passage is is claiming here. And it again, it speaks to the eternal nature of the son. It speaks to the eternal nature of our salvation. And it speaks to the eternal nature of redemption, the plan of redemption. Do you see that? Do you see how God had a plan to save you and I before the creation of the world? Before time began, he had a plan to save you and I. So we talked a bit about this in our D group on Friday when we, talk about God. We should never disconnect his attributes from one another, right? God is an eternal God, but God is also holy. He's also, God is love. God is righteous. God is just, which means that his justice is eternal. His righteousness is eternal. His love is eternal, right? So all of these things should never be thought of in separate silos, but all working together Right, we should consider all of these things together. So when we think about God being eternal and we think about him existing independent of creation, right, because that's just who he is by nature, and we think about the fact that he is a redeemer, we have to tie that together with his attributes of being eternal, being immutable, being um, ever, the everlasting God who is and who will always be. Right. So any questions so far? No questions. All right. So if you're on your handouts, right, we're going to go to the section that says applying God's word. Okay. So on the last page, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I apologize. It says God's word in the real world. God's Word in the Real World. That's what it says. It's on the back, the last page of your handout. Right? So we just went through some Bible passages that, um, there's just a few, it's not all of them, but um, that um, proves that God, is, he exists as the self-existent, eternal creator of the universe. Right? All of those passages that we just read up to this point prove that point. right? And it's presupposing that God, from the very first passage of scripture, that God exists, right? God has not instructed us as his followers. He has not instructed us as his believers to attempt to try to convince other people that he in fact exists, right? The Bible says, Romans ten seventeen that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It does not say faith comes by hearing and hearing by amazing scientific, sci- scientific evidence. It doesn't say that, right? No amount of physical evidence, no matter how true it is, can convert a sinner into becoming a child of God. That responsibility thankfully falls solely on the Holy Spirit, right? Right? But the Bible does give us responsibility to share our faith, right? Which is what we've been talking about when we talk about evangelism and apologetics. So we have a responsibility to share our faith. We have a responsibility to know what we believe and why we believe it. And we have a responsibility to answer questions to unbelievers with a particular disposition of heart. Gentleness or meekness, right? And what was the other one? Respect. And we learned that last week, 1 Peter chapter 3. So those are our responsibilities. To speak the truth in love, to be gentle, to be respectful, and to give an answer for the hope that lies within us. That's our responsibility. Our responsibility is not to argue people into the faith. Okay? So the, let me ask you this question. If someone asks you how you know god exists how would you respond someone at work someone around you an unbeliever that you know ask you how do you know god exists how would you respond
1: way too fine-tuned in order for uh, the universe to have created itself. Uh, the ratio between the size of a proton and an electron is so again, it's so precise that it really the, the simplest explanation is that there has to be a creator. and that has so many other uh, reasons why God exists. Uh, I would start from there and then from there I would start building up to uh, prophecies that explain who God is that uh, that was going to become the savior, Jesus Christ, uh, that he would be born of a virgin, uh, prophecies that Isaiah wrote about, David wrote about, and then from there, I would start talking about,
0: Thank you brother. I, ladies first. When the air conditioner came on and I need a hearing aid. In one minute, can you No, I can't summarize that in 1 minute, but I will summarize it. <laughs> so what he basically said was is that he would talk about some evidence for why God created like why like why uh because of the the um how the world is, how it exists. That it's not possible for it to have just come out of nothing, right? That it needed to have a creator. And then he took that and made a and transitioned into Bible. the Bible, the gospel, prophecy, and that kind of thing. Yes, sir? Okay, I'm sorry. I was thinking, directly answering the question, how do I know? Yeah, so remember what the question is. Okay, remember what the question is. How do you know, that, how would you respond to your friend if they asked you that question? So my answer would be my own conscience. Okay, your, she says her answer would be her own conscience. You were next, and then David, and then Diego. Number one, the Bible says it. and then okay. two, amen he said the bible says it and there was a man that rose from the dead that proves it all right um what'd you say Uh-huh.
1: But I'm like, realistically, there are, you could say there are arguments to say God doesn't exist. You could say there are arguments to say that God does. It really has to be I have faith
0: that my God exists. And if you don't have faith, you're never going to believe. Diego then John. I was going to add to what she said
1: about her conscience. I would add the Holy Spirit as well.
0: Okay. So, John. Yeah. How would you like if you how would how have you I'm just trying to okay. yeah. I would say uh just the way that the Bible fits together, it's just a beautiful piece of like literature, it's just like fairly beautiful, and there's just no contradictions, it's just like seamless, there's
1: all these authors of errors, just two thousand hundred years, uh it all fits together for to love. Uh, that to me is just always gonna be like I that's no there's no
0: way that could happen. Okay. So all of those are all of those are good answers. Right. So uh, at the end of the day, yes, ma'am what would I personally say? Okay, so usually, this is how I would, I would start with. I would start with, I would ask them like, I would try to figure out what they believe, because if you're not a Christian, if you're like an atheist or something, you're going to have a miserable time explaining all this evil in the world and how it's getting rectified, right? And so then I would, act, I would ask them, okay, if God doesn't exist, how are you going to do what are you going to do about the fact that all about all this evil that you claim to hate just as much as I do? And then eventually work my way to the gospel, right? Because I just believe that God is just. That unbelievers call it karma. That's God that, you know, I turn that immediately into, no, no, no. That's the God of the Bible executing justice in real time, okay? And so I always try to look for some me and Pastor Ed always make this dope joke, we make, look for the Jesus juke, okay? Look for the way to get to the gospel, right? I got this uncle of mine, we always make this joke. He, he's a pastor down in um, Brinkley, Arkansas. He'll turn anything into a gospel message. He'll, be, he'll say like, hey, Vern has two legs. You know who else who has two legs? Jesus, gospel, <laughs> right? Look for a way to get to the cross. So all of these arguments that we make apologetically about the existence of God, right? Just have a decent argument, you know, have a decent argument, but always remember the proper role of evidence in our apologetics. Always remember the proper role. They can confirm, they can only confirm what God says about himself and his creation, right? And this is where we cannot err as Christians in attempting to uh, defend our faith. So we can't place too heavy of an emphasis on the scientific information, right? We can't place too heavy of an emphasis on the scientific information and then leave out scripture and the gospel in our discussion with other people. So what we're not looking for, what we're not looking for, is a positive response to the evidence for God's existence. We're looking for a repentant response to the gospel, right? Because you can argue a person into believing that God exists and, re- and they'll reject the Lord Jesus Christ, right? And, what, and I'd rather take a person who has a terrible reason for believing in the existence of God but trust in Christ for their salvation. We'll work on the rest of it. Does that make sense to you? You can make terrible theological arguments. You can make terrible arguments for, um, you can have terrible apologetic arguments but trust Christ for your salvation and be saved, Amen. So that's the most important thing. And just remember, like, so I'm sorry, you had your hand up. What were you going to say? I was just going to ask to comment. You said that we come with assumptions. Yes. Because we have been exposed to these things all our lives, most of us. Yes. Sure. From a right. But always standing on the word of God. Yeah. Right. So that's the point that I'm trying to make. So that's a presuppos- what you're doing is you're making a presupposition when you just said that. Okay, you're making a presupposition when you said that eternity is stamped on the heart of every human being. Okay, that concept is a biblical concept. Okay, that's where, that's where you get in Romans 1.20, where he says, uh, you know, um, that um, uh, Romans 1.20. Romans 1.20. For his invisible attributes, his invisible attributes are clear to every man. Invisible attributes are clear to namely his eternal power and divine wisdom are clear to every person. God has shown it to them and they are therefore without excuse, right? That is the presupposition that you can take to every discussion that you have with an unbeliever. So no matter what they're talking about, if they're an unbeliever, you know for certain that they're suppressing the truth of God. They know that God exists, not a God, Yahweh. That's the claim that the Bible's making, right? Right? Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies above proclaim his handiwork, day day by day they pour forth speech. Like, everybody knows that the Lord exists and they're suppressing that knowledge, right? But that knowledge that creation brings forth does not have the ability to bring us to salvation. Only the gospel can do that. But what that does let us know is, is that Those people, they know they have the law written on their hearts, they've sinned against God, they owe him obedience as as their creator, as his as their create as his creation. They they know when they've done wrong, and you have a remedy to their to their ailing consciousness in the gospel. Right? And that's what you're trying to do when you when you witness to people. You're not trying to win the argument, right? You're not trying to win the argument. You're trying to, like, rescue them. You're, you're trying to rescue them. Yes, ma'am. That's the last question, and then we, we're out of time. Least trouble. Okay, and, and then there's also another book
1: of well there's several books of many atheists that have dug and dug and dug disbelief. And then they uh um, you know, they, they give you some really good things to think about because sure. they have dug so hard for their disbelief that they have become some of the best Christians. I'm
0: too old, I can't <laughs> so really, She just recommended some Sure. So what we don't want you to do is you don't have to be an apologetic expert. What you do need to do is know what you believe and why you believe it. Right? That's more important than anything else. Amen? So let's go to the Lord. Father, we thank you for your mercy and your kindness to us, O Lord. We thank you, God, for causing us to believe redeeming us of our sin, O God. Help us, Lord, to be wise, to be kind and gentle with our unbelieving friends and family so that we so that you might draw them to you by the means of the gospel that we preach to them. Help us to do these things for your glory. It's in the holy name of Christ we pray. Amen. Thank you.